You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Happy Friday! It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join me on the Goodyear Hotline. You got solo Spain tonight. Isn't here with me. I figured I'd bring in, bring in the best in the business to break down all the NBA action that's going on. Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA analyst, with me here on Spain and Fitz. And we're just about to see the Knicks and Hawks go at it. And, and to me, the big difference here is going to be two things. One, Atlanta shoots better at home. And two, how does uh, Julius Randle try to find a way to stop getting forced into those baseline mid-range jumpers and work more towards the middle of the court, not keep letting the uh, the Hawks dictate what he's doing. What are you expecting to be the big things that decide tonight's game? Well, to me, obviously, we have a huge energy switch to you know going to Atlanta. And so over the history of the playoffs, you often see the team that moves on to the road get a little overwhelmed early in the game. And so the Knicks, who don't have a lot of experience with this, that's why I want to see how they handle that. Because you know the Hawks are going to come out and probably play very well early. Can they, um, you know, remain tight, you know, maybe even somehow figure out a way to get a lead early to to flop the pressure around? Because Atlanta, even though they lost game two, they feel like they're in control of the series. They feel like uh, they're going to get the, the, the support of their home fans. And we'll see how many Knicks fans there are throughout this game and whether they can be heard. We heard McMillan say that he knows, you know, what energy his guys have, when they need to rest. But it was such a stark contrast to see Tibbs be willing to put Taj and Derek out there, regardless of a pregame plan or expectation, and to not see McMillan do that with Trey. Are you in agreement with me that Trey Young is very young, literally, and can play entire <laughs> games if necessary and should if the game dictates that? Sarah, this is one of those things that if you talk to various coaches, you will get deep-seated philosophies on both sides, hmm. that there are certain things that you establish as routine throughout the season and that you rely on those routines, and that's what carries you through in the playoffs is the habits that you built. And there are other coaches like Tibbs who very much coach by feel and ride hot players and ride players that he prefers uh, endless minutes. And I don't know if there's a, a right way or a wrong way. I will say that um, I did feel like, you know, Trey had a lot of extra energy going down the stretch of game one. He certainly was able to get it done. And if that's the way Nate McMillan played him to save him for that energy in the fourth quarter, I would certainly understand why he'd want to stay with that strategy. Brian Windhorst with me here on Spain and Fitz. I was listening to the Hoop Collective, great podcast, uh, and the latest one, some interesting dialogue about the Clippers and how there are so many aspects of this team top to bottom that are good and shouldn't be replaced, and yet the result is never good. As you look ahead to tonight's matchup with the Mavs, um, what can the Clippers actually do? I mean, they have the worst defensive efficiency of any team in the postseason, and that includes two teams that are just getting absolutely rolled by their opponents in the Heat and the Celtics, and yet somehow the Clippers still look worse trying to face up against this Mavs team. Well, the Mavs are – I mean, it has to be acknowledged that the Mavs played really well as yeah. an offensive unit the first two games. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. has moved into the starting lineup and really helped diversify and make their, their, their lead group so potent with his outside shooting. That's part of it. But, you know, this is a thing that is – it continues to be so confounding with the Clippers and why I think tonight – 
is one of the most important games they've ever played. And part of that is because they haven't played that many high value games, but they just do not have urgency. They didn't have urgency through last year's regular season. They didn't have urgency when things got upside down on them in the playoff series against the Nuggets last year. They did not. They do not have urgency in this series. They come out of the gates and they just let Dallas get very comfortable. And you saw that in, in Game Two. I mean, they shot 54 percent as a team on their home floor in Game Two and lost. They get 30 points in the first half from Kawhi Leonard and are in a dogfight because they had no defensive intensity. They were just sort of out there moving around, not closing out hard, not setting themselves, not aggressively attacking picks. And part of me says that that is on Ty Lue and that that is the coach's job. Part of me says that's on the individual players. But the strange thing is, uh, you know, it goes back to a, a nickname that's been on them for years which had gone away recently is paper clips. It's a, it's a lame nickname, but it, it applies because this team is great on paper, but have not shown it on the floor when it matters. And they better start doing it now because if they don't win this game tonight, I don't know what the consequences are going to be. Hmm. Brian Windhorst with me here on Spain and Fit solo Spain tonight on ESPN radio. Uh, you know, I can't tell if this hypothesis is flawed, but I was thinking, I wonder if there's anything to be said for the amount of rest and and um, the amount of stars that we saw in and out of lineups this year. Does that make it harder to really get a good feel for how good you are? Is any flaw of the Clippers over the last couple of years that when you've got guys dictating how often they want to be in and how often they face other superstars, you show up to the postseason feeling confident and get, you know, sat on your butt and then realize that maybe you should have gone a little harder in the regular season to get a gauge? Sir, you're asking good questions. I don't know what the answers are with the Clippers. This is some of the stuff that I've been talking about with lead <laughs> executives does. for the last three. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been talking to with lead executives for the last three days. Like, what, what what should they be doing better? I mean, other you know, playing harder. You know, that we can see. But like, should they have should they have done a different trade or a different free agent signing? And you know, in talking to them, you know, they're like, yeah, you know, they they probably you know, could have done a better job with, with a draft pick here or there, you know, should they have gone all in and trade for Marcus Morris? Should they have signed Luke Kennard to a big contract, but they haven't made any colossal mistakes. It looks like they've built a really good team and should have a very potent team that would be very difficult to beat four out of seven times, but they just don't. (laughs) And it's, very difficult. There isn't a magic bullet. Sometimes you can just tell, well, that team doesn't have three-point shooting. Well, that team can't defend. Well, that team doesn't have leadership. It's just not that clear with the Clippers, which is why it's got to be driving Steve Ballmer, who has invested everything in this team. It's got to be driving him crazy to watch how this is playing out. I can only imagine. Hey, three quick ones for you before I let you go. Uh, Suns have any chance in this series if CP is playing the way, you know, the second halves have been? Sarah, he just, you know, I mean, the, the, the Lakers are playing really good defense, and that's what kept them in the game in the first quarter and allowed, or in the first half and allowed them to stretch in game two or in the second half. I, I, I don't necessarily think that even if Chris Paul was healthy, that all of a sudden that would magically make things work. But when they don't have Chris Paul, 
it just makes everything so much harder. The Lakers are really able to key in to Devin Booker. And frankly, even when Booker's had single coverage, he hasn't played very well. So you have Chris Paul, who clearly, um, after whatever treatment he has, wears off. He really, all of a sudden, just can't even shoot the ball. I'm not even mm-hmm. sure he should have even played in the second half um, yeah, uh, last so night. Tough. And then you have Booker not delivering. When you don't have your two you know, all-NBA-level players producing at a high level, you can't do it. You look at LeBron and AD, you know, they're averaging like over 60 points a game uh, combined in the last two games, not to mention all the other plays they make out there. You look at Chris and Devin and they're just not getting it done. You know, and Booker gets, gets frustrated, loses his cool, gets ejected for a flagrant two foul. Like you're, you're, you're seeing them not put their bus foot forward. And I got to believe for their fans, that's extremely frustrating. Last question, 30 seconds or less. Nuggets, Blazers, what are you seeing there, and is it giving you a hint at who's going to come out on top? Well, I mean, the Blazers just have got to figure out a way to defend better. Um, I, You know, Jokic is going is, is to do his thing, but this is their thing. The Blazers underachieve as, a, as an organization because they don't defend. They were terrible defensively last year. They tried to get better in the offseason, made a bunch of moves. It did not work. They're one of the three worst defensive teams in the league during the regular season. And in this series, their defense routinely lets them down, whether it's covering on three-pointers or whether it's, um, uh, you know, you know, getting out uh, in the pick and roll. They just they can't do it. And so they're, they're really reliant on um, another, you know, the other team to, to not to, to have a bad night to, to win a series. And when you look at, the, the backcourt that Denver is starting and getting by with and ahead 2-1 in this series. And by the way, Michael Porter hadn't even played that well yet. Mm-hmm. It's really yep. remarkable. I know there are three seed and they're the favorite, but Denver being ahead 2-1 in this series is really a compliment to them as much as it is in something to the Blazers. I completely agree. Hey, Wendy, thanks for the insight. Enjoy the games tonight. Have a good, have a good weekend. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Quote Explorer gives you multiple quote options so you can pick what's right for you. See for yourself at Progressive.com. Coming up next on Spain and Fit Solo Spain tonight. We're going to the Mile High Club. Let's do it. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. And a lot more MVP talk. People kind of let it die for a bit, but it's been stirred up again as people are watching this Nuggets Blazers series. All eyes on the man that cannot be stopped. The man that everybody is having trouble containing, Nikola Jokic. We'll talk about him and the rest of the series here on Spain and Fit. Solo Spain tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Joining me now on the Goodyear Hotline to talk all things Nuggets is Adam Mares. Adam, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me on, Sarah. We have you on a lot to talk about this team, and sometimes, to be honest, we talk about uh, disappointment, whether that's an injury to Jamal Murray or a, an early exit. Uh, but I'm having you on while while the Nuggets are hot. Uh, you uh, you uh, host DNVR Nuggets podcast, Lockdown Nuggets podcast. You talk about this team all the time. What did you see from this last game? Um, and are you as confident now about them in this series based on uh, what you saw as I am? I think I... Yeah, I think I might be more confident, you know, after last night's game. That was really a game I think Denver probably should have lost. Portland getting fans in the stands for the first time and all of the energy and urgency that they played with. And I thought they played great game and, and had some interesting adjustments. 
But Denver really impressed me gritting through that win, just as they've done since Jamal Murray went down. We're talking about eight, nine, ten weeks, whatever it's been now, where they just continue to surprise and impress and have somebody step up. And last night, that was Austin Rivers. And, and what a great story that was for him to be the guy to come in and sort of cap off that great, great game. Can we talk about how weird it is that whatever went down with Austin Rivers has not made it public yet? We never have these things where everyone <laughs> sort of hinting around something where Rivers uh, himself is acknowledging that there was some, you know, pivotal moment that he had to move past and get beyond and that other people knew about it. Like, how can that many people know about this? And we don't know what it is yet, Adam. I know it. it is funny. You're not wrong about that. But I, I will say this. I don't know if it is any one thing. And Austin Rivers has been fantastic, not just as a player here, but he's been in an amazing quote. And it's funny having so many people reach out to me for different teams, you know, guys that have covered him and said, oh, you're going to love Austin Rivers. He's such an insightful player and this or that. And he has been that. And one of the things he said was in talking, he was actually answering a question about Michael Porter Jr. and the way narratives form around a player that never leave, no matter whether they're true or not, or if a player's just young and growing through it, you kind of, you know, fans and just the, the way the world works you know people will decide who a player is they're a villain they're a, a bad teammate they're a hothead or whatever and you never can shake that label and I think he's talking about Michael Porter this way who came in with some of that baggage but I really think he's also talking about himself and he yeah. even referenced you know I've I've suffered from a lot of this too and look I think there's things even that are public I know there was a, a situation with him and Chris Paul one time and I know that he got into it with a fan one time, you know, it was a bad look, but you know, those types of moments can be one-off bad moments for a person that doesn't necessarily speak to the entirety of who they are or who they become. And I think to me, that's been what's so refreshing here is it seems like he has found a home and an appreciation amongst his teammates. And, and he sees in Michael Porter, a young player who the book has been written on. And he's like, Hey, give this guy a chance. You know, just such a little bit about him. Like, you know, such a little bit about me. Yeah, I, it's and Porter Jr. is an interesting cat because of that. You know, some of the comments around George Floyd stuff and then, you know, the hoax right. that he thinks COVID is and vaccinated, all that stuff. It is easy to right. sort of make decisions, uh, but nice that he's got uh, someone on his side within the team and for the fan base that's maybe keeping keeping people's minds open. Adam Mares is with me, DNVR podcast uh, here on Spain and Fitz talking nuggets. Let's talk Michael Porter Jr. He's had some, some really uh, excellent shooting performances and, and been a great on offense, but – doesn't like to get bodied, and certainly the Blazers have been attacking him defensively. Um, what are you What are you seeing out of him as as far as basketball goes so far in this series, and how he can be trusted on both ends? It's interesting because he's a player that is just so talented, but that talent is sort of blocked off a little bit by weaknesses in his game. One of those being actual general weakness. You know, he's right. still adding <laughs> strength to him. Um, but also just things like footwork and, and how he comes into his shots. He's having a hard time, I think, getting shots off. But some of that has to do with just the subtleties of the game, you know, learning how to create separation before you catch the ball or reading the court better to better get yourself open so that you can take those shots. And I think he's one of those players that those parts of his game, usually those parts come first, and then the can you knock it down once you are open part comes second. Michael Porter's a little bit in reverse where – when he gets open shots, he's automatic, but he's trying to find out now with the team being physical and putting so much of an emphasis on him, I think it's been a challenge. And then as you referenced, the other end of the court, he's become the mark for the Denver Nuggets or for the Portland Trailblazers. They're, they're hunting him out, trying to make him work hard, 
and more importantly, trying to make him make mistakes on that end of the court. And it's just a great test for him. He's a young player with a world of talent, and I think these tests have been have really helped him grow and will continue to do so. Adam Mayer's with me here at Solo Spain on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Let's get to the big man. Jokic, unbelievable. 34 points, 38 points, 36 points through the first three games. He's so confident because they just don't have answers. It's it's Nurkic and it's Cantor. Nurkic gets in foul trouble. Cantor's minutes are way down because he just can't hang. And there's nobody else to guard him. Um I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but, but you know, it doesn't feel to me like the Blazers have the kind of answers that are going to send this series beyond a couple more games. Yeah, that, that's the thing so far. You're curious what adjustments they, they try to make going forward. This last game, you, you mentioned Nurkic, who has done a good job, but they're deciding to guard Jokic one-on-one, and even Nurkic, as good as he is, you know, Jokic is, is still having a field day out there. But when they go to Cantor, or last night, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson at the center position, or Carmelo at the center position, to me, that does, that does hint at a little bit of a desperation. Of, we're, we're trying our last bullet here because this is such a Hail Mary to put a guy giving up 80 pounds on Jokic to hope to stop him. But uh, this is, the I think, the thing about Nikola Jokic that makes him the MVP and makes him such a special player, and it's not always immediately obvious, but no matter what you try to force him to do, and Portland in the series says, we're going to force you to be a scorer, and to your point, 34, 38, 36, not only is that a lot of points, it's a remarkably consistent number of points. He's averaging 36, and he's scoring within two points of that every single game. And it's just whatever you force him to do, he's comfortable doing that. You, at the end of last night's game, after single covering him the entire game, they think, okay, Nurkic fouls out. We're going to have to double, triple team him. And what does he do but just set the table perfectly for Austin Rivers to get these catch-and-shoot three-pointers off, and Austin Rivers steps into it. So – whether you make him a score or a passer, he's just so comfortable with it. Yeah, it's a uh, team is looking very strong. It's a bummer for me because I'm a big fan of the Blazers, but uh, uh, always happy to see Denver get uh, live up to the expectations of the regular season. One of those teams you want to see succeed in the postseason. Uh, thanks for the insight, Adam. Enjoy the rest of the series. Thanks so much, sir. Take care. Adam Mayers of the DNVR podcast and Locked On Nuggets. You know, the interesting thing to keep an eye on will be whether some of that shooting that's been so hot for Denver can stick around. I mean, I don't know that we expect that from Austin Rivers in every single game, and we do know that Dame and CJ can go off. So maybe I'm I'm writing out the Blazers too quick, but so hard to guard. So hard to guard. Brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Up next, is the end of the Clippers near? You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. A pivotal game three for the Clippers tonight. Ty Lue says he's not worried. They're going to show us what they're made of, which has me worried because I don't think they're made of much, at least not from what we've seen so far. It's Spain and Fitz, solo Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining me now on the Goodyear Hotline, ESPN NBA analyst Tim McMahon. Tim, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. I know you're at the Mavs Clippers game. So much riding on this game for the Clippers tonight. And a Mavericks team that has has looked really good behind an incredible start from Luka. But midseason, I don't think people would have thought that the Mavs were going to give Clippers this, this much trouble. Are you putting more on the Mavs outperforming expectations? Or are you blaming it more on the Clippers not figuring it out yet again? Well, I, I think that... This series will be more – it's more about the Clippers' crisis. It's more about kind of the, uh, you know, the, the, the paper clips. Um, <laughs> and, you know, this team that was built up as a contender that, 
you know, acts like they're a team that's got multiple championship trophies for some reason and then doesn't live up to it. And, you know, just show them what you're made of. Like, dude, you're coming off of embarrassing collapse in the bubble. You've got five straight playoff losses now, like you just said. What they're made – that might be the problem is showing what they're made of. You know, having said all that, look, credit to the Mavericks. And I don't necessarily think that the Mavericks are overachieving as much as it took them a while to get to the point where they were meeting preseason expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, they were hammered by COVID. Uh, you know, Porzingis being in and out of the lineup obviously has been a factor. But if you look all-star break on, the Mavericks have a top-five record in the league. And obviously in Luka Doncic, they have a guy who is arguably a top-five player and has certainly been the best player in this series You know, with a two-time finals MVP on the other side. Tim, I heard you on the Hoop Collective, and I had Wendy on the show earlier, and it, the refrain is the same from literally everyone. I don't know why the Clippers clip. We don't understand how you could have an owner who cares and star players and make the moves that you would expect to pay off and have the result be what it's been the last few years. Is there a chance that, for whatever reason, this particular iteration is just missing the true leader? Kawhi's a great player, but he's quiet as hell. PG... Man, yeah. I'm not I'm not going to that guy for heroic inspiring speeches at any point. I mean, we've we've heard some really questionable right. quotes about him from him in the past about, you know, uh how they reflect on massive collapses and such. Are they just missing the hype man or the chemistry? Could it be something that's sort of intangible like that and that's why we can't point to it? I I think that that can certainly be uh, you know, something that's fair discussion for sure. And last year you know, they basically admitted their chemistry was, was bad, you know, and Montrez Harrell, they didn't try to keep him in, in large part because of that. He kind of became the scapegoat uh, for that. Um, you know, this year, uh, Rondo, obviously, love him or hate him, he is a guy who has championship experience. They, they bring him in, I think, to try to fill in uh, a lot of that void as well as, as their playmaking void. Um, you know, but – this was a team that really the regular season, they couldn't prove anything during the regular season, right? They just had to get through it and, and, and you know, prove something in the playoffs. And so far they've proven that, uh, you know, they, they are the most talented laughing stock in the league right now. Mm. Tim McMahon, ESPN NBA writer with me here on Spain and Fit Solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio. I don't really want to look ahead to the mass exodus that could occur, how this gets broken up, so much as I want to keep diving into the the parts of this team that maybe give us a little bit of hope. There's obviously the fact that they haven't shot up to expectations based on the regular season, and there's certainly the opportunity to look at some of the defensive flaws. That's one of the ones that's standing out to me, is their last in defensive efficiency of all the teams in the playoffs – what are you seeing? I mean, again, I'm going to give credit to Luca. I'm going to give credit to the Mavs, but how are they performing worse than, say, you know, the Celtics against the Nets or the Heat against the Bucks in those series that are blowouts? Well, they're, they're not executing well, and they just flat out do not have an answer for Luca. They've tried everything. You know, they they every matchup you want to you want to consider, they've tried. Uh, every, you know, double, drop, you know, whatever, whatever in pick and roll. They've tried it all, and Luka is just shredding everything in front of him. And the guys around him, his supporting cast, are absolutely lighting it up. And, you know, as, as great as Luka has been, 
the problem's not that Luke has been the best player in the series. It's that Tim Hardaway Jr. has been the third best, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he is shooting 65% from three and two games. And guess what? A lot of that's because they keep on – he keeps on getting good looks because – the ball is moving. It starts with them trying to figure out how to deal with Luca, and then all these other guys are just, you know, getting good looks and absolutely, you know, making the Clippers pay for that. The Clippers have their their offense has been fine. I mean, you look at the numbers; they're one of the better offensive teams so far in this postseason. But as you pointed out, that doesn't matter when you are the worst defensive team, and you know some of that is their uh, you know mistakes they're making. A lot of that is the execution of the Mavericks and the, and the fact that Luke is absolutely in control of this series. Spain and Fitz, solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio on a Friday, talking to Tim McMahon about all things Clippers uh, and and uh, Luka Doncic leading the Mavericks to a sort of unexpected start to this series. You've been watching Luka all year. Um, what is the biggest difference between, say, midseason when people weren't sure that he – uh, he and the rest of this team could take that next step and what you're seeing now? Well, again, I think it's a, it's a weird year for everybody, but this is a team that had uh, half of their rotation out because of COVID for a long stretch. And so they could have been this good this all season, along. That's, that's the takeaway yeah, for it, you. Right. It, it, it's, it's really hard to play winning basketball in the NBA when the pandemic takes away half the rotation. Also, let's be straight up. Luca got off to a bit of a slow start in large part because he came in out of shape. Uh, he's kind of had to play his way into shape. You know, at the same time, though, he is a better player now than he was last year simply because there's parts of his game that he has developed. He's an absolutely dominant post-up player, which is why Pat Beverly guarding him is a complete non-starter. Mm-hmm. He's just going to take him to the post, score on him, and then yell in his face, you're too effing small. And he's right. Um, <laughs> that's a fact. You know, he's developed that little Dirk one-leg fadeaway. I mean, it was crazy. They put Kawhi on him late in the third quarter last game. The Mavericks clear out the side of the floor. He goes to work, brings him down to the block, and hits a little Dirk one-legger on him. That's something that he didn't really have in his game last year. And then early in the season, he, d- he didn't shoot the three well. But, uh, you know, for several months now, that step-back three, the only guy who's got a more dangerous – well, I guess there's two. Steph Curry and James Harden are the only two guys in this league you can say their step back three is a more dangerous weapon than Luka's. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's been so fun to watch, and I know people get frustrated with uh, everyone focusing on the Clippers and their curse and being the paper clips instead of on Luka. But we're going to get a whole lot more Luka to talk about if the series keeps going this way, and not a lot more time with the Clippers. Uh, Tim McMahon, ESPN NBA writer, with me here on Spain and Fitz. You know, you also wrote a story about. Um, Issues at, 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 uh, in that Jazz Grizzlies uh, series yeah. and the lewd and racist remarks made specifically to John ja Morant's family. And, you know, there's a bunch of different incidents across the league, and we could sort of shrug our shoulders and say that morons are, are just remembering how to get back to things by being out in public again. But, Tim, I find this stuff so frustrating, and I don't know, you know, how well it, like, enforced our – lifelong bands are there photos of these people everywhere like an old west saloon can they wear a fake mustache like is it actually mean anything when this happens to a fan who does something like this well and first of all they've they've been indefinite bands they haven't been lifetime and i i honestly i have an issue with that why is it not lifetime what indefinite what like no you do this you're not allowed back in an nba arena period there's no reason to not you know make it definite why is it indefinite? That doesn't make sense to me. 
Um, you know, Trey Young chose not to press charges. To me, the dude in Philly who dumped the popcorn on Russell Westbrook, that is by definition disorderly conduct. Am I saying the guy should go to prison for 10 years? No. But you know what? He ought to spend a night in the poke and have to deal with the, the, a misdemeanor charge. And I also, I firmly believe this. These people's names should be least. If you want to be that big of an ass and spew, you know, just blatant racist stuff, uh, you know, to, to make ses- just disgusting, sexually explicit comments to a player's mom, listen, you should have to deal with the, with the ramifications that come mm-hmm. with people knowing that's who you are. That's the way you, you, you know, you act. And so it's, just, it's, it's ridiculous. And unfortunately in Utah, there is a history there. Uh, the organization takes it very seriously. They are very sensitive to it. And T. Morant, to his credit, number one, is just one of the most, you know, fun, friendly, likable guys you could ever possibly meet. You know, he made a point when I talked to him to say, you know what, I had a great time at the game for the most part. We had a really good group of fans around us that we're talking trash with, having fun with. You know, look forward to seeing him for game five. Uh, but it, it's, it's three is way too many. And, and you know, it's just – it's the NBA has to really seriously consider uh, ways to get their arms around this and, and keep these kind of things from happening. I completely agree, and I think your point is valid. Like, right, indefinite is sort of like, while everyone's paying attention to this, we're going to pay lip service to what we're going to do and then doubt that anyone's going to follow up five years from now and see if old boy's been coming back to Look, games since then. And I'm going to give you an example. Uh, at, at the Mavericks game tonight, I will be looking for one specific fan, and I'll say his name. His name is Don Nobler. He's considered like Mavs super fan. He's the guy who was banned for the rest of the season a few years ago for, for saying F your mother to Pat yeah. Beverly. Beverly got teed up for throwing the ball at him. He's banned yeah. the rest of the season. The Mavericks have let him back in. There's no way that guy should be at this game tonight. That would be absolutely wildly inappropriate, period, but especially given what's been going on in the NBA this week. Yeah. Well, keep us updated. We'll be watching your Twitter to see if you spot him and what the outcome is. Thanks for the insight. Enjoy the game, Tim. Okay, thanks for having me. Tim McMahon with me here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. We're going to send you out into the NBA playoffs with a little quickies into your weekend next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Solo Spain, a quickie for you on a Friday on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Thank yous to my guests to hanging out. I just sounded uh, like I was from Pittsburgh. Thank yous. Uh, It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And the Straight Talk is, this is a power hour of a show. So much to get to. We got to get you into the playoff NBA that's following up here on ESPN Radio, Net Celtics. So uh, I'm going to speed through a couple things that I wanted to talk about. And uh, to do that, we got to do quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. No fits. Gave him the night off. He was doing fine bomb today. Uh, just me giving you some quickies. It's always awkward when you have a quickie by yourself or maybe necessary sometimes. Moving on. Naomi Osaka talked about how she is going to avoid doing a lot of the press conferences around uh, the upcoming tournament because of her mental health and in, in part not wanting doubt inserted into her mind as a player uh, by some of the questions and, and conversations with journalists. And I support protecting mental health, and I I first heard this and thought it was more about the way Naomi has been outspoken about police uh, brutality and uh, the deaths of notable 
black Americans in the last year. And I really felt the weight and pressure of that on her. And, and it sounded like it was less about that and more about uh, breaking down post bad match or being uh, niggled, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word for it by questions uh, that stick with you. And and I have to say, I, I do support protecting yourself and getting yourself ready for matches in the best way possible. But I also can't have double standards. And, and Marshawn Lynch didn't want to talk. I reminded everyone that part of being a pro athlete is the media money that fuels your salary. TV deals, debate shows, discussing your greatness and recapping your press conferences and driving interest. That's part of the game. If you just want to play tennis, you could do that anywhere. If you want to play tennis for millions of dollars, part of that is the media game. So I will uh, totally get behind Naomi adjusting to this very bright spotlight, being the highest paid female athlete in the last year or so. Um, And she does do a lot of other things to draw attention to the sport. But I do hope she eventually finds her way back to doing those pressers. And I hope journalists will, you know, consider the effects of their questions and interactions on the human beings that are playing the sports that they cover. We do sometimes take for granted that uh, these are still human beings competing night in and night out. And uh, I think there's a balance there that can be found. So I hope she'll make her way back to that. All right, next topic. Quickies. Man, the White Sox. I gave them a lot of grief for their Tony La Russa hiring, and a lot of the questions I had about that working out have already been answered in the worst possible ways for them, despite their great record. Now they've gone and done something else uh, to, to bristle the, the hairs on the back of my neck. They had an area down the third baseline named Loretta's Lounge. This was named after a concessions employee, Loretta Massell, who worked at Old Comiskey and the new ballpark for 60 years. She worked there for 60 years. And they dedicated this Loretta's Lounge tour during the 2005 World Series win. So the family of Loretta, who passed since, showed up to the ballpark, and the area named for her is now named Larusa's Lounge. So the Sox claim that they actually did this before Larusa was ever rehired as manager. Uh, that it was made after the 2019 season, but since someone was in the ballpark last year, no one saw it. But the family said that they didn't even notify them, that that's a shame. And the ballpark couldn't answer to why they decided to take over Loretta's Lounge instead of just moving La Russa uh, to somewhere else in the park. A World Series winning manager who's currently at the helm for your team and has had tons of you know success doesn't need a lounge at the ballpark. And you disrespected a longtime employee's memory and insulted her family. For what? What good does it do Tony La Russa to have La Russa's Lounge? Uh, thankfully, it is not a bar, which is what I thought it was at first, just an eating area, which, you know, add a little more awkwardness to it if it was LaRusso's bar. But uh, just just really tone deaf and stupid and bringing attention to a team that's already facing some PR issues. Uh, just not smart from the White Sox. And I don't blame Loretta's family for being angry. All right. Next topic. Quickies. NHL playoffs continue to thrill. And we have a game seven tonight, the Wild at the Golden Knights. And I was checking out some of the stats. This is this is uh, pretty crazy. The Wild 3-0 and all-time in Game 7s, and all of those times they had to win on the road. Um, I, I just think when you have a team that won two straight to force a Game 7, outscored the Golden Knights 7-2 to in winning those two games, um, I'm not always a believer in momentum, but in a series like that where a team had a couple chances to close it out and, and couldn't, I think the sphincters are tight in Vegas uh, for different reasons than usual. A 9 Eastern start for that Game 7. That's going to be wild. Also worth noting, tomorrow, Game 6 for the uh, Montreal versus the Leafs, there's going to be fans for the first time in 14 months in Canada. Uh, the Bell Center uh, is only allowing about 2,500. It seats 23,000. 
but they're going to have fans for the first time in over a year. And as of right now, $1,700 get-in price uh, for that one. Uh, Canada ready to get back to its hockey. So lots to keep an eye on with that. Uh, next topic. Quickies. I told you Nets Celtics are coming up next. It's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Solo Spain tonight with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And I just talked to Tim McMahon about it for a moment. But, you know, as we see Kyrie Irving going in, uh, you know, to the garden and, and we, we hear him talking about subtle or overt racism there, you have to wonder if these fan interaction issues are going to continue tonight. You hope that's not the case and certainly hope that all the attention given to the the popcorn thrower and the spitter and, you know, the the, the people saying awful things uh, to Jaws family. Like, hopefully all that attention will be lodged in people's minds. So even if they're 11 teen or 13 drinks in, they uh, they, they keep their, themselves together. But there is no place for it. And I have to say, uh, I posted about the popcorn guy and, and I said that the entitlement of doing that is the knowledge that that athlete can't do anything back, right? Other than the malice in the palace. And we saw the other night that Russ was about to cause another malice in the palace, if not for the six guards that held him back. But that's why a fan does that in that moment. You're not talking smack to an NBA player walking down the street. You're not throwing stuff on another person walking down the street. You're doing that because you feel protected in your seat and your ticket purchase did not earn you the right to be an a-hole or to throw stuff at somebody and especially not heat in the moment athlete. And all these people telling me that you should be able to control yourself when something like that happens. You've been in my mentions on Twitter arguing for two straight days. I see you because you haven't untagged me in the conversation and you're going back and forth for eight straight hours with someone getting all riled up about some dumb tweets. So don't try to tell me that in the heat of the moment of a basketball game, if you were a pro athlete and your legend and your legacy and your money was on the line, you wouldn't be fired up by people treating you disrespectfully and inhumanely. I hope we don't see it tonight, and I agree with Tim and what he said earlier that there needs to be some pretty serious punishments to dissuade this. There's no excuse. So Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. NBA playoffs on ESPN Radio. Celtics, Nets, presented by Indeed. Coverage at 8 Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.